Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. BBN Kentucky, how's everybody doing? Tony Delp, the 96 champ. Vinny Hardy here for another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Appreciate everybody taking the time to listen morning, noon, evening, night, whenever you pop in the podcast and give us your time. We always appreciate it. What's good this week, TD? How we doing? Man, as I said earlier, I'm just trying to stay out of wave, man, trying to stay corona virus free if I can. Uh, but to be honest with you, man, just still doing basketballs, uh, a little training here and there. Uh, this weekend, there's a tournament that's going to be held at the gym that I train my kids in. So out and about trying to get prepared for that um, should be some some uh, some pretty good high school basketball and middle school basketball. And, you know, as I said in previous podcasts, you know, our state happened to open up a lot sooner than most. And uh, I don't know about it, but, hey, it's, it's you know, hey, it's, it's, it's going, it's happening now, so we can't do anything else about it unless they decide to shut us down. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a lot of spiking, a lot of numbers popping off. Kentucky's having to wear a mask now, and, and a lot of that going on, opening before it should have. I'm I'm not holding my breath about a lot of it, especially college. I don't know. Maybe the pros will keep on, you know, MLB and NFL and NBA, but it's college football. I, I'm not holding my breath as far as how that's going to come together. Maybe it will. Yeah, to be honest with you, it's, it's not looking good. I know some of the conference decided to not play uh, out-of-conference game, which is going to really, really hurt the, uh, the smaller schools, the, the smaller programs that are really dependent on that money. Um, you know, so – but it is a, a different time, and, you know, we're trying to take the, the proper precaution lead into, you know, any season, whether it's NBA, MLB, NFL, it doesn't matter the season. Um, college basketball, college football is, you know, we want to make sure we get this right. We protect our, our young student athletes and, you know, take it one day at a time. Because I think once you start, like, looking ahead, we don't know what it's, you know, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know if, if – if certain states are going to just decide to, hey, make a decision, you know, we're going to shut this thing back down again. Um, are you, are man, our mask is going to be mandated? Yeah, probably should have been, but it, it wasn't. And I heard a study this, this morning about South Korea being a, uh, a country with 52 million people and only 300 people have died. I mean, that's, gosh, and, and they, and there, that was a country that didn't really require you to wear a mask, but they jumped on it early. You know, I, I think we, as a society, you know, we didn't take it as serious as it should have been. But, you know, so many people have died from this. And, um, you know, we want to make sure we, we get this right. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, it ain't nothing to mess with. It sure isn't. No, nah, no, not at all. Not at all. We're seeing that each and every day. Um, we off and rolling, y'all. As always, you can get us on Believe.com. Go straight to the site, number one podcast network for professionals. If you download us on iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe, follow, give us those five stars, put a comment in there. Some of y'all have definitely done that, and we appreciate it. just helps the show uh, continue to grow. And if you're interested in advertising, go straight to the site, Believe.com. And the same way we talk up Tony's wine and Tony's book, we can talk up your business or product on Believe in Kentucky. So get in there if you got some ideas and, and highlight us so we can talk it up. Um, yes, sir. 
as far as UK, man, look, still ain't no games and stuff, but the maybe the biggest news on the basketball side, they, they finished out their non-conference schedule. They added UAB. They added Marshall to kind of finish up the out-of-conference basketball schedule. And Western Kentucky popped off on Twitter talking about, here we are, we'll play y'all. We'll play y'all for charity. As long as y'all playing these other Conference USA schools, why don't y'all holler at us? It was, that was kind of big news early in the week. You know, Rick Stansberry, who you played against when he was at Mississippi State, is at Western now. He's from Kentucky, and, and they really just pushing. They want to they play Kentucky. They want Kentucky to come to Bowling Green. Your thoughts on the whole thing? Should, it, is, Kentucky doesn't really have anything to gain. Should they play them? Where you come out on stuff like that? You know what? As a as a former player, I didn't mind going anywhere playing. You know, any team. You know, if, if your team is good, and as I tell people, you know, you want to take your show on the road. And uh, I I remember when Coach Cal, you know, said he really enjoyed just taking his team on the road and and silencing the crowd. You know, and and sending sending the fans home disappointed and and, and seeing them leave. You know, in the second <laughs> half, with about eight to nine, ten minutes ago, knowing the game was over. I really enjoyed it as a player and even being on the coaching staff. I love to come to uh, my opposing team arena and shut everybody up and, and us leave with a victory and, uh, you know, get a chance to do it, you know, in Bowling Green against, you know, a, a one of your state teams. You know, I was talking to someone earlier, you know, just about some of the games I wish we had to play as, as a, um, when I was at Kentucky, you know, maybe going against Ohio state, you know, out of, and a, uh, non-conference game, although we did face them in uh, the Maui Classic, you know, playing in Cincinnati, you know, Xavier teams that are not that far of a drive, um, I just thought it would have been, you know, because we do have a lot of fans um, in Ohio, but I thought with those teams at that time, you know, Cincinnati was really, really competitive, having, uh, you know, Bobby Huggins, you know, he had a great program. I think one year they um, – I know they went to Elite Eight, lost to a, a Memphis team with, uh, with Penny Hardaway, but just – had so much talent. And then Ohio State, when uh, Randy Harris was there, you know, they had a really nice recruiting class. But um, when you can play your in-state teams, and we know how how uh, big, how how tough and how uh, supportive Big Blue Nation is, you know, throughout that state, it doesn't matter where we go, we're going to have our fans. That's for sure. That's for sure. That blue gets in, as the saying goes, no matter where you – you see them rolling into that venue. We will be there. Be there and be there, uh, like I said, before the other team walks in, you, you, you would think it would be our school, you know, because we, we've seen UK travel over the years and just how the fans, you know, whether it's overseas, it's the Bahamas, uh, it really doesn't matter, you know, is that they really love Kentucky basketball and, um, you know, I just really haven't seen that kind of fan support other than, you know, some of these, you know, big-time uh, football programs. Like, you take, like, Alabama, you know, they travel well. Uh, Texas travel well. I mean, there's a number of uh, NCAA college football teams that, you know, they travel in droves soon. Did that I, – I mean, no matter where you played, did that ever get old or you – I mean, did you get used to it? I mean, you knew – Blue was going to be there, no matter your know, SEC tournament, NCAA tournament. While you were playing, I mean, what's that like? Where you just know good and well, BBN is going to be there as a player. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing on the road. I, I thought there there was uh, there was less pressure. You know, when you at home, you got to perform in front of your fans and you know the people that that you see every day, your your classmates and. You know, the worst thing to, go to, to happen is go out to have a really bad game and you had to go to class the next day. It was like, oh, man, you know, those those students actually like, what, what went wrong? What happened? You know, and, you know, when you're on the road, you know, you are expected most of the time, you know, to lose because you're on their, you know, you're on their, their home court. And um, I really enjoy, like I said, just playing on the road and, and like I said, just showing how, how how great a team we were that we could go on the road and, and stay focused. You know, I think it's always something to go in and stay in a hotel the night before and to come out and be ready to play the next day, you know. And um, you got to have experience, experienced players and, and guys who 
know when they go on the road, like we're about our business, not not to go on the road and have fun and try to go sneak out the room and go out. You know, we came on the road for a purpose, and that was to defeat you, and not only to win. Like we wanted to embarrass your team. You know what I'm saying? We want we want your team to be like you know when when they go home or when, you know when their fans saw them be like, man, y'all got beat down. Like y'all lost not y'all didn't lose by like ten points. We y'all we put a whooping on teams. Like we went on the road to put a whooping on team. And if we didn't win by a certain certain margin, like, you know, we were disappointed. Like, man, because, you know, you worked so hard that whole week and you're ready because then, you, you know, you're going against your teammates every day. You know, it can get a little fire, a little testy every once in a while. But then you get a chance to go out there and punish the team, your, uh, your opposing team. And that's all we look, we look forward to. Were there any arenas, any road arenas that you – love shooting in more than others and were there some that gave you trouble like you know the depth perception or anything like that or any did you have any favorites or least favorites when it went to come to playing on the road my least favorite was playing here in atlanta at the georgia dome like mm. those were like the worst rims i think i've ever played on yeah the depth perception one thing but there was something every time you hit the rim it made a noise and i hated playing SEC tournament games uh, when they were here in, in Atlanta. I was, you know, I just despised, like, walking into that arena. So it wasn't even about the fans. I just didn't like the rims. And as a shooter, you really have to enjoy shooting on certain rims. And the rim I enjoyed shooting on the most probably was uh, was at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt has some some nice rims, you know. And then with them bitches being at the end of the uh, end of the basket, you know, it, it, was, it was different. But – from a shooting perspective, I thought I shot really well in, in um, at Vandy, uh, and, and then I'm trying to think of some other places where you know I, I thought Starkville I shot I shot well there, and you know I really got used to shooting at Rubber Arena. Rubber Arena was always a, a cold arena, so we did most of our practicing at my Memorial Coliseum. And I wish we, had, I wish we could have played one game a year more in Coliseum. I mean, I, I love shooting there. When you can practice there, pretty much, you know, your whole career is those are the rims that you're probably gonna be the most used to, or you know, just rims you're really familiar with. And um, but it was always, you know, we played the SEC tournament game. I never played well when we had uh, at our games here in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. That that game at Memorial that was. I've heard other people hope for that. Uh, I went to some women's games. It's always fun. Uh, the atmosphere there is cool. See, if, if they would do a men's game there, which they probably won't because, you know, so many people couldn't get in, but it would be fun to have a regular season men's game at Memorial. It really yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it, it, it was something that I don't even know if Coach Patino at the time, I don't know if he had discussed that. You know, it's, you know now we see, our, you know, the team practiced at the Joe Craft Center. Uh, but that Memorial Coliseum, you know, and I know it didn't see as many, and a lot of people would be mad and disappointed. But it could have been the one game where it was all students. You know what I'm saying? So maybe an out-of-conference game. Um, don't know who – it doesn't – it wouldn't matter who the opponent would be, but I just, I just thought it would have been great just to have most of your students come. If they can get in, wait for, you know, a lottery – First eight to ten thousand people come, you know, get get it, come through the door. Uh, you know, they get the seats. But, you know, it, it was Rubber Arena made a lot more money, you know. So it, it, it was more about the money than it was about, oh, we'll satisfy the player and, and give them that one game that they that they solely desire at Memorial Coliseum. Exactly. We talked about ninety-six a lot last week, but I, I can't keep going without asking what was your thoughts on the denim uniform? Did you like it? Did you not care for those? They, Man, they, I could, I could care less. DH, I could care less about those uniforms. Those were to me, I think they were cool before you put them on. <laughs> but once you put them on and I looked at them and, you know, I was like, okay, they're, they're cool looking. But once you start sweating, can you imagine denim, how heavy denim gets? You know, and, and as I see this generation, you know, playing in dry fit, which I love to play in dry fit, man. It, it just it fits the body perfect. It's like the perfect fit. But those, but those uniforms were heavy, man. From the 
from the you know the shorts to the to the jersey. I just I didn't like them. I mean, they were like I said, they, they were cool um, before we before we ran out on the court. So if we had to come out, take photos in them, I'm good with it. You know, hey, we can do that all day. But when you're talking about playing in them, oh, did not like playing them. And they were supposed to be demos. You know, it wasn't supposed to be like something that we was going to wear, you know, on a regular basis. But uh, I want to say Coach Patino might have been superstitious that we had, had some really good games in them. And, you know, before we knew it, you know, we was playing in the, the denim shorts, denim jersey, and the ugly denim shoes. Yeah. And arguably – Still one of the greatest teams ever, the 96 team. Imagine <laughs> how bad y'all would have beat people in light gear like everybody else. I mean, And dry fit, man. That's all I wanted was, hey, listen, dry fit would have made me happy. You know, dry fit 20-plus uh, years ago, I can I can only imagine, man, how, how I would have felt just to run out there and be just uh, a few seconds quicker. That's what it, what it would have been. A few seconds quicker, I probably would have been, instead of second in steals, I might, I might would have – might would have been first and steal. Might would have been ahead of Wayne Turner, who played a lot more games than me. So if Wayne Turner is listening, Wayne, you played more games than me. I didn't play a lot as a freshman, not to make any excuses. And that's what put me second on the list. And Wayne got a chance to play in Nike. So my whole career was in Converse. Mm -hmm. So by playing in Nike, better sneakers, it gave Wayne probably another 10 to 15 to 20 more steals. <laughs> Thank you. Give me, give me a memory about Mr. Wildcat, Bill Kiteley. Just like your first interaction with him, or something that he said that stood out to you. Because I mean, he was beloved by everybody that just saw him on TV or knew him. What was your memory of, of Mr. Wildcat? Man, I mean, I, I can't say that there's so many great things that that I can say and put into words, but just unbelievable man. You know, just great character. Um, you know, he he treated us like. Like we were his kids, uh, you know. He was a, a diehard big blue, big blue fan, and you know, just to see him every day, I never saw him without a smile, you know. And and when you can see an older gentleman who really enjoys life, enjoys his job, you know, being a, a equipment guy for so many years, you know, we didn't just see him as an equipment guy. You know, we saw him as as a mentor, a coach, as a as a father, as a friend. You know, he. He held more titles than just being an equipment guy. I mean, unbelievable, unbelievable man. You know, and, and we, you know, every time I go back, you know, it's, it's, when I walk on that campus and, and walk into Memorial Coliseum, you know, there, there's always a special place for for me. It's always a special place in my heart when I think about just a, a unbelievable individual. You know, what what he what he said to us, what he did for us, and I never forget. You know, when uh, my senior year and and I and my feet were really hurting, like they really were hurt from, from wearing those Converse. And I went to Coach Patino. I said, Coach, I said, man, I'm I'm just, I can't wear these Converse, man. I said, we got to figure something out here. So he calls Mr. Kiteley in, and Mr. Kiteley walks in. You know, he was like, hey, Mr. Kiteley, can we find some shoes that fit Mr. Duck over here? <laughs> so Mr. Kiteley come out. He comes out with like all these different Converse styles. I'm like, Mr. Kiteley, do you understand? I do not want to wear Converse. He was like, Coach. Only thing I can do is possibly is go out and buy him some Nike and we can tape over the Nike sign. So you should have seen the smile on my face. I was like, man, let's do that. Let's make it happen. <laughs> so true story, you go back and you know, some of my some of my games and practices, I wore Nikes, but they had tape over. And by the time we got the championship game, I finally found a pair of uh, I think I found a pair finally found a pair of uh, Converse that that fit my feet that did that didn't hurt. But uh for a while, man, I had to wear some. I had to wear Nike. Nike would uh, they were taped over, uh, taped over the Nike sign, and it was just something that he had. He didn't want me to feel special, or he didn't want he he wanted everybody to to be treated the same. But I was like, Mr. Kylie, I'm just I can't wear those those Converse anymore, man. They are just really aching. They're really killing my feet, and he made it work for me, man. But just one of the few things that he would do. Uh, that if we called him, and it didn't matter what time, you know, he was always available, you know, and and, and it's good to be a, a young athlete and you have an older older guy um, that can really teach you about life. Like, he really taught us and talked to us about so many different things. And even when I graduated, you know, as soon as I would come back, I could not come back in town and not stop by 
his his equipment room or just stop by to say hello to him. Absolutely. That is awesome. When you we talked a couple of weeks ago about you come you during the summer, you know, going at Rex Chapman, James Blackman, those older guys, uh learning from them and, and holding your own. After you left and then when you would come back, who were some of the young guys that went at you and impressed you after you had left UK in the summer pickup? I think just coming back and, you know, and seeing how uh, how the guys have gotten better, like Allen had gotten better, you know, Wayne was still there. Um, you know, Nazi had improved because Nazi didn't play a lot as a freshman. So I saw the guys that were freshmen, freshmen and sophomores I saw how they evolved as players and how the game improved. And, you know, just going back and just seeing their feel for the game, you know, just really having an understanding of how, how easy the game is if you know where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be there. And I try to teach kids the, the same thing about basketball. I said, you know, know your role, know who you are as an individual. Be, be the best you you can be. Just don't try to be someone else. When you can be the best you you can be, I said, you got a, you got a chance to be in the rotation. And a coach will find a place for you. Work hard, uh, show up early, stay late, ask questions, and, you know, try not to let anyone outwork you. So a lot of things that when I would come to practice, I remember going against, you know, a, a Dale Brown and, you know, uh, and it, it was it was a – it was competitive every day. Like there was not a day I walked in the gym, I'm like, man, you know, I'm, I'm about to give me some of these – I'm getting ready to steal some of his minutes. He was like, I'm freshman, not going to happen. So he kind of taught me, like I had the same kind of drive uh, once he left to those guys who were trying to get steal my minutes or who wanted my minutes, you know. And for about a middle school, high school, to college, I never missed a game. And the one thing I kind of pride myself on doing those that tenure span was Try not to get hurt, you know. And when you play at a high level, it's it's hard, not it's hard it's, it's hard for that not to happen, you know. With an ankle, shoulder, a jam finger. I mean, you got to learn how to play through some pain. And I never never forget the first time I was that I got hurt. You know, I, I was with the Charlotte Hornets, and I missed maybe like five to ten games, and it, and it was different because I'd never been hurt like where I missed games before, and. uh so during a you know an NBA season, you're talking about playing 82 games, and really, if you look at a look at an NBA season, it's like three collegiate seasons in one, and your body will get beat up, and you got to play against the best players in the world. You know, there's no nights off. Level of intensity is totally different. Um, so you really got to know who you are and really know how your body operates. So that was the one thing I kind of pride myself on I remember the one year I did play all 82 games I was with the Phoenix Suns and it was important throughout through that 10-year career was like man you know can I play all 82 games and not be and not get injured and not get hurt and I finally accomplished that in, uh, with the Phoenix Suns and then the next year I got traded so who knows man did you have a goal in mind of how many years you hope to play when you left Kentucky and got drafted. I want to play X amount of years. I want to, you know, was that in your mind going in? I want to make it five years. I want to do this or do that. Not really. I, I think, you know, I'm a, you know, a, a day by day, a week by week kind of guy, you know, and especially during the time I was, you know, getting traded, I felt like, well, actually it was every other year. And it was just really trying to get with the organization and stay there for more than two years, you know, so I can really just learn a system, learn, learn players. And I never really got the opportunity. You know, that's the one thing I hate about my career is not really getting a, set, a chance to set up shop and for organization to allow me to evolve and to, you know, become a really good player, you know, for that coach. Because that's, that's why I really excelled as a player. If you give me three or four years in the program, you will get all of me, and you will see what kind of player I really am. And then, it, then it's easier for me to make an adjustment because I know what I'm, I know what I'm, what I'm capable of. But I'm also, I also know the the system where I need to do what I need to do to be successful, execute on the court, understanding my role. Like I, I was all about uh, being a good teammate, and it's kind of hard when you're getting you're being traded every year because now I started to lose trust in organization. You know, whereas I didn't feel like, you know, they gave me 
you know, the chance to really to evolve as a player. But also, you know, I was like, hey, you know, they're only thinking about what's best for them. And when players are in that position to to leave organizations, oh, this player, he's, he's disloyal, he's not this, you know. So you get all this backlash from players leaving. And organizations can make trades whenever they feel like, you know, for whoever they want to. They can cut you, uh, you know, and they still might have to pay you. But it, it, it's something that when I look back on my career and, you know, being traded, not being able to stay with, stay with certain teams, you know, that's the one thing I, I really, you know, as I think about just where I'm at in life, I was like, man, I really enjoyed being in this city, playing with these guys. And I wanted to see it through. And it's tough. After you did finish your career, if you've, you went on and, and coached, you've written a book, we talked about the wine, uh, you've been on the SEC Network, NBA TV, analyst work. Did you, did you, want to do analyst work and coaching i mean you talked about living <laughs> day by day did you have a plan like when i retire i'm gonna get into i'm gonna i'm gonna try to coach i'm gonna do some tv stuff do some broadcasting was that kind of how you planned on setting it up after you retired or you just kind of went with the flow after you quit playing man I, to be honest with you be I, I just go with the flow man I, I let things happen i try not to get stressed out about what's next in my life you know what i'm saying i, I always I always believe the man upstairs, he has a plan for me. So as I walk, as I wake up every morning, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the day ahead of me. And I just take it one day at a time, you know, because I'm not promised tomorrow. You know, I don't I don't want to plan too far in advance and get so excited. And, you know, you got a project that's going to be a year away, six months, uh, I mean, six years away, it could be a decade away. And you, you don't get a chance to see, it. you know, you might get to, you're nine or 10 and you never know, man, something's not going to happen to you. So I like to take it one day at a time and enjoy it today and not worry about tomorrow. And I can't do anything about, you know, what happened yesterday. Yesterday is, is to me is a past day. You know, it's like learn from, learn from yesterday, live in the precious present and prepare for the future. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, got to, uh, coach out there like you you talked about traveling in different places i've been a lot of places still a lot of places i haven't been to one of those places i haven't been to is new mexico you coached out of new <laughs> mexico state uh, all i know is the capital santa fe uh the license plate says land of enchantment bugs bunny says i should have made that left turn to albuquerque that's about all i know <laughs> tell us about new mexico as a state how'd you like your time out there i mean it's close to arizona so did you like the weather and stuff like you did at phoenix you know what i, I really had a great time in new mexico uh, in new mexico state and just being in uh, las cruces new mexico it was a it was a transition time for me leaving lexington and you know becoming an assistant coach in new mexico state under marvin Mizzy, who really allowed me to blossom and you know you know he, he kind of slowly gave me projects and jobs, you know, and he just threw me out there and said, hey, Tony, yo, you need to do this. He gave me a few scouting games, uh, some of our games, you know, um, you know, so I can kind of learn the game and X and O standpoint, how to, how to draw a play, diagram plays. Uh, Marvin taught me a lot, man. Coach Benzie was really good to me. You know, he just allowed me just to, to kind of interact with the player because, you know, I had something in common with those guys, you know, having – and still being able to play a little bit, you know, every once in a while I would step out and, you know, play some five-on-five with the guys. But um, coaching, I thought I blossomed, you know, just from learning from, um, you know, a really good coach that Paul Weir was on there. There was a coach, uh, Coach Brown, he's nicknamed him Boogie. Boogie was an older coach, man, but Boogie was, was knowledgeable about the game. So learning the terminology is what helped me uh, – was what I was what I was taught out there, and that allowed me once I left, you know, as I'm kind of teaching my kids how to play this game, and you know, just just, just the different terminology from being a player to an analyst to a coach, you know, there's some similarities in all three, but they're different. So I had to learn the terminology, you know, to be able to, you know, do a scouting report and to be able to do it on a on the chalkboard 
and how my players zone in on what I'm talking about to kind of get, help give us the edge. And that was something that I probably, you know, took, you know, took for granted when, you know, our assistant coaches were doing it back in the day with you know, Coach Donovan, Herb Sendak, when those guys, you know, I didn't know all the work that went into it. You know, you got to break down film, uh, watch all these different plays that these teams might have. And then you got to go, go out on the court and present that in front of the players without, you know, having a piece of paper in your hand. So it's like learning underneath out-of-bound plays, side out-of-bound plays, learning press breakers, learning like their five or ten, you know, uh, most efficient plays, and being able to go on the court and do that, you know, while the other coaches are watching, while the players on the sideline are watching, trying to make sure the ten guys that are on the court, that they're in the right uh, right place. Then you got the players asking you questions. So I was like, oh, my God, this is so much work. Because you, until you do it, you really don't know, um, you know, what all the intel that goes into it. So what I would do on a daily was when I had my scouting report, man, I, I might get to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, you know, before but before before anyone even think about coming to the gym. So I get there at five. So now I'm in I'm in the gym, writing up my typing up my um, typing up my, uh, up my report, and once I get it done, then I got to make you know probably 15, 20 copies. So I got to make copies for the players, uh, the assistant coaches. So I got to have all these copies made up by the time they come in. So when it's time for me to present my my scout, you know, now I give all the players their copies, you know, so we do go through our scouting report. And at the end, you know, leading up to that game, you know, they I have that. So I'll, I would always have the scouting report in the hand. I try to have it the day before so they can kind of look at look over it. So it, it, it was work, man. I, I, but I enjoyed it because once you start doing it, you know, you pick it up really fast and, you know, it becomes routine. When you first started answering that, you said the word that you hear a, a, a lot of athletes have to deal with NFL, NBA guys when they retire, and that's that transition. You said it was a transition from Lexington to Las Cruces. When you decided to retire, was the transition from – being a player to being a former player, was that difficult? Or did you just kind of smoothly moved on into coaching like you did? Was it, was it tough or? Man, it was tough because it was like a gray area there, you know, because I still could play. I knew in a few years it would be coming to an end. Like, like what's, what's next, you know? And, and, and it's hard for a player um, to transition to corporate America or, you know, do any kind of job because you've done basketball pretty much your whole life. And it's hard, you know, it's hard for everyone who finishes, like, you know, just to not be in the locker room with guys, you know, not to travel, you know, sit there and joke around with one another, you know, not to lace up them shoes again, run up and down the court to sweat, you know, like I said about silencing the crowd, going on the road, you know, you've given up all those things that's been a part of your life for over 20 years. So it, it, it was a, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it would have been. Although I had some different businesses that were set up. Uh, I just love basketball, man. That, that was the one thing I just, I love doing each and every day. And probably one of the reasons, you know, I started getting injuries late in my career because I didn't have any other hobbies. I just want to play basketball. Like even when the season ended, I might've taken off a few days and then I was right back at, right back in the gym. I would play outside, I would go to whatever gym, a ball was bouncing. I would play against middle school kids, high school kids. It didn't matter. I just wanted to play basketball. And, you know, there's times even now, you know, even as I was trying to play on Monday, I did play a little bit. And I probably played two games too many was my back started hurting. And when you start, when your injuries or let's say you start getting, you know, um, you have like different injuries, ankle, Achilles, or whatever. Those certain things just strain. It started taking longer for me to recover. And I remember when I left overseas, um, which was my eleventh professional season of playing basketball. Um, my Achilles, it, it was taking it forever to heal, and that was kind of like the reason why I, I walked away. I, I remember coming back, and both Achilles were sore. My youngest daughter was at that time about maybe 10, 11 months, and I was struggling trying to carry that little that little 20 pounds around. I'm like, man, my Achilles are so are aching right now. And I took off probably the longest amount of time I had in probably about a 15 to 20-year span, and it felt good. 
and it felt so good. I was like, I think I'm good. I can just walk away and just be, you know, in a good place right now. But after after about six months, you know, I started feeling a little bit better. And I was walking around, you know, and that, that's when I got the buzz again. I ended up going to Puerto Rico, and I was a player coach. And I was getting ready to leave. I had a nice contract over in Turkey. But the owner of the team wanted me to help him coach the team. So long story short, we ended up taking leading that team to the finals in Puerto Rico. We lost game seven on the road by three points. And uh, that kind of spearheaded my coaching career a little bit. And I did about probably four years of that. Uh, being an analyst, just it just happened. I went out and got a uh, went out and got a broadcasting coach. And you know, we met up once or twice and uh and the SEC network was hiring, and it was it was the perfect time. So even as I train just from one job to another, man, I just take my time, and you know whatever I do, I'm always gonna give you 100. percent Whether it's AAU coaching, it's broadcasting, it doesn't matter. You know, once I'm in, I'm in. And if it's basketball related, I'm 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 1,000 percent in. <laughs> For sure. On that AAU, I'm gonna go ahead and move right to that because we talked about. Penny Hardaway a lot on here, him being from Memphis, him hosting you when you visited Memphis. Tell everybody how hard what he's trying to do. He was at Memphis East coaching AAU and went straight to Memphis University. So how big a leap is that? How tough is that? You know, it it, it seems easy. Just like, you know, Penny, really good high school coach, won a a, a few uh, or a couple uh, state championships. You would think the transition would be easy, but – when you're dealing with a lot of different personalities and it takes you time as a young coach to establish, you know, it's your program, your style of play, and then you got to bring the right guys in knowing that your style of play is not for everyone. It's like being an AAU coach is that my program is not for everyone, you know, and you see kids come and go. But what I, what I, what I understand is, you know, I try not to get attached to any kid because that kid, if he's a really good player, you know, what I find out from boys, they team hop. So when you really like a player and, you know, he's one of your star players and he's doing well, I want to have three or four of those dudes because if one guy leaves, he, don't, he doesn't take everyone with him. And my other players are good enough where they can sustain our, you know, our, our, our system and understand what it takes to be a really good team. And I don't want to just turn out my program being run by one really good player. I want to have multiple players. So if a player gets hurt, a player gets in foul trouble, a uh, player leaves your program, it's, you know, your program will survive. So I don't want to put everything into one guy and be like, man, if, if, if he wake up one morning and say, coach, I want to go play with this other program. And, man, I'm heartbroken because I'm like, dude, I've done all this stuff for you and you leave me? No. There are no contracts for any kids that play for me. You come, you play, you have fun. If you want to leave, go play for another program, have at it. You know, more power to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting back to you being a shooter, being a scorer, <clears throat> talked about how good you felt in Phoenix, how you loved the weather. The training staff played all 82 games. You also had your career high 53 out there playing for Phoenix. As a scorer, as a shooter, what is the difference between I'm just out here getting buckets and I'm in the zone? What is the difference <laughs> between the two for you? How you explain it? Hey, man, when you talk about getting buckets, man, I feel like I can score on anyone. You know what I'm saying? And that's that just me being confident and working on my one-on-one game and my skill set, that it didn't matter. Like, who you put in front of me, I'm going to score. You know what I'm saying? And even to this day, I still feel that way. I'm not – and I, I know I can't do it. It's just all in my mind. You know, my body is not allowing me to do the things I did 10, 15 years ago. But in my mind, oh, I'm, I'm about to get buckets on you. And then when you're in that zone, it's like every shot you take, it, feel like, it feels like it's going in. And I've been there a few times, you know, whether it was middle school, high school, college, NBA. Everything just felt good, man. When it, when it, when it leaves your hand, you just know it's going in. Like that, that, that's, that's being in the zone. And that doesn't happen a lot. It probably happens once or twice a year. But you're feeling, even in pickup ball, you know, I, I can get in that zone, man, where I can score like eight, nine, ten buckets. And it's not about the buckets I'm scoring. 
it's just that everything feels good. Like, you know, from, from a step back to a layup to a, a standstill three, an off-the-bounce three, everything feel like it's going in. That's being in the zone. And you, it doesn't matter who's in front of you. You know, it's like, man, hey, it's going in. So two are, there's a, some similarity, but when you talk about getting buckets, man, it, it, it's like a like something you, that, that, you, that you live to do and that you want to do on, on, on every day you walk in the gym, I'm getting buckets. And on top of that, your teammates know you're going to get buckets. So that day you scored 53. Could you Did you feel a little different in the shoot around? Did you, did you see it coming that I'm about, to, I'm about to go off tonight or it just kind of happened? Were you, was that in the zone game or was that a getting buckets game when you got 53? That was in the zone game, and it was crazy because my pregame uh, meal, I didn't have it. For some reason, uh, my, my, my pregame meal was like like potatoes, like roasted chicken, and like green beans, something like that. You know, I would always have them on a game day. And, and the night before, I stayed up all – I stayed up about 3 or 4 in the morning playing cards with one of my friends. And – I was so tired the next morning I got up and walked through. I was like, man, I couldn't wait to get back, you know, order my meal and lay it down, order my order room. Well, actually, I called in the room service. They was like, oh, we don't have that. So I had to leave the hotel and went, walked around and got me some food, came back. I was exhausted. I was tired because, you know, usually I go to, I, you know, I have my, my, my own curfew and I, I was just out. I was out and uh, came, like I said, doing that. During the evening time, I got to then took my little pregame nap, woke up, and uh, was you know I was I was okay you know and plus I and that's another really good shooting arena you know I left Sacramento the year prior, and I always I always loved playing in uh, in Arco Arena, and I never forget you know because I didn't start I don't think I I don't think I started that game I, I might have come off the bench I don't know, uh, but you know just making a few shots early. And I was just making shots. I was like, man, you know, it feels kind of good. And even in the third quarter, I made like nine consecutive shots, you know, throughout just the, the up and down, uh, back and forth. And before you knew it, I looked up there, I was like, man, I got 40 points. And at that point in time, my career high was 28. I'm like, man, you know, 40 is good. You know, 40 would, when you, when, when you've been in the NBA, and at that time, I think my career high might have been 26 or 28 points. And I got 40. I was like, man, 40 is I'm on I'm on deck. Then I, I scored a couple more points. And uh I never forget Mario Ellie was like, he was like, dude, he said, man, you you gonna get 50 tonight. I looked up there, I had like maybe 46. I'm like, and there was like a lot of time left. I'm like, and coach was and and, and it was one of them things like it was like a like a pitcher throwing a none hitter. Nobody, he was the first person to say something to me. Coach didn't say nothing to me. And now my coach at the time was Scott Skiles. He didn't say anything to me. So I just went back out there. And um, and before I knew it, man, I hit 50. And I was like, man. So, <laughs> and after the game, they were looking at me, you know, my teammates, everyone, you know, because they had never they had never, never seen me score that many points. They, they knew I could get buckets. But, you know, it, it went past uh, the 28, the 30, the 40. And when you can get to 50, with uh, I think I wanted I want to say I took 27 shots and didn't make only attempted one three and I missed that three point shot. That's efficient. 20 or 27, man. Goodness. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On point. Man, you mentioned In Mario. You mentioned Mario Ellie. First, I'm I'm a Rockets fan now, uh, since the 90s. But before that, it's the only time I ever changed teams. I was a Braves fan, just like your dad. Because of TBS, I was a Hawks fan because of TBS and Dominique Wilkins. Dale Murphy and Dominique Wilkins. You played in Atlanta, so did you Did you get to kick it with Neek and chop it up with Dominique for a little bit while you were there? Man, I'll tell you, you know, because I, I, Neek was doing radio, and I would see Neek all the time. You know, Neek, I mean, one of the coolest dudes, man, oh. that, that you would ever come across, just a, a good, genuine individual. The one time we, I got a chance really to mess with me, and here's, here's some of his stories. We were actually in Vegas, uh, actually gambling, playing blackjack. 
<laughs> and, and I was sitting there with Neek, and so these dudes were huge Neek fans. And so we, you know, we, we, you know, we, we, we kind of like on a roll here, and Neek getting ready to go back to the room. And the dudes were like such big fans. They gave Neek like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars chips. I'm like, hold on, man. Like, <laughs> like, yes, that's what I'm saying. They gave Neek, Neek, man, Neek probably left, and he, he probably don't me tell the story. Neek probably left about sixty, seventy thousand dollars, man, in chips. Them dudes just wanted to have him at the table, saying we playing with Neek, and they were some high rollers. They, because at that point in time, I don't even think I have never seen a twenty-five thousand dollar chip. You know, and I gamble quite a bit, but I, I don't gamble. I'm not a, a high roller. You know, I have my limit. I'm real. I'm real cheap when it comes to gambling. If I lose a thousand dollars, I'm stopping. You know, a thousand two, I'm stopping. But there have been some times I lost a little bit more money than that. That's that. We'll, we'll talk about that on another podcast. But just sitting there with Neek, Neek has some some made some great stories, man. That he was just telling it, and they really paid all that money to hear the stories. <laughs> and and Neek kept the stories coming. Yeah, <laughs> I ain't, I'm not a high roller, but he is my favorite player of all time. So I was good I was dude. Yeah. Fan. Until they traded him for Danny Manning, and I, I couldn't root for the Hawks again. I had to. I, <laughs> I mean, I still get mad thinking about that, man. So, uh, Elijah Wong's my second favorite player, so I, I just jumped on the Rockets bandwagon. But uh, right, still got a lot of love for Neek, though, man. Yeah, Neek, Neek is a guy, man. Neek likes it. Neek, Neek with all the story, but just how you know the human highlight. He has so many highlights on mm. just being attacking the rim, and you know the first dude that can take a take a shot from the outside and tip dunk his own shot. Yeah. You know, just a superior athlete, you know, you know, that, that could, that could have played in any era. That's right, man. Last two things I, before we wrap it up, get the weekend going. You mentioned a couple point guards that you played with that allowed you to be off the ball. Just, just give us a little something about J kid and Muggsy Bogues, man. Tell us a little something about those dudes. Man, Muggsy might have been one of the quickest dudes I think I've ever played against in my life. And I remember training camp, you know, and I, when I walked in, I'm like, man, you know, you know, when you, when you are young, when you really follow basketball and you see guys that, that, that you grew up watching, but as a collegiate player, you see these dudes in the NBA, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm in the gym with Muggsy Vogue right now, you know. <laughs> so I'm really kind of tripping because, you know, you go back to, Muggsy in the Space Jam, and you know, Muggsy was that guy, mm-hmm. but was just one of the coolest players, you know, that I played with. And I remember just trying to bring the ball down the court. I'm like, man, it was like that dude had a twin, like, because <laughs> everywhere I went, I, I saw he was like, he cut me off at every angle, you know. And, and during that time, I was more of a, a score shooting guard, and my point guard skill wasn't <laughs> wasn't where they needed to be, and he exploited my point guard skill, but. He really taught me the game from a standpoint of the angles and just, you know, what allowed him to 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 be in the league for so long, to maintain and sustain a career is being efficient, understanding your role, playing hard, but just giving it your all when you're on the court, you know, leaving it all on the court, which I always did that anyway, but just being a, a good veteran leader who kind of took me on his wings along with Anthony Mason, you know, God rest his soul, one of my one of my guys that I enjoy playing with and just, you know, just his his work ethic was 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 impeccable. But just watching Muggsy and how he controlled the game at that size was amazing. Hmm. Jay Kidd, he made the game easy from a standpoint of getting loose balls and rebounds and it was always a race down the court when Jay got the ball. So Rodney Rogers, Sean Marion, Cliff Robinson. Dude, you want to see you want to see some track runners. And when Jay got that ball, everybody was off to the race. I mean, we were sprinting down the court because the first person down the court got received the pass. Because Jay was always a, a pass first point guard. And he just he always made the game easy from catch and shoot to layups. And you know, you could just tell how important he was everywhere he went from New Jersey to Dallas Maverick. He made the guys around him better just on his understanding of the game and how hard he played, but his passing ability was 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 probably at the highest level of passing that I ever seen. He was always a couple plays ahead of us, knowing what was gonna happen, what was gonna take place next. So just being able to read situation is something I thought from his 
intellect that, t- that separated him from so many other players. Yeah, the dudes that have that, that's just special, man. That's crazy. It's special, man. It's, 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 it's something special that that those players possess that other players don't have. Yeah. Man, TD, these, I can listen to this all day. I hope this is as fun for the listeners as it is for me, man, hearing your stories and your interactions and, you know, getting to go against them, play with them and stuff you remember. You know, neat getting paid to talk, tell stories. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm, I'm loving it and enjoying it every single week. Uh, I hope you have a good weekend and, and looking forward to next time we get to pop it off and record. Another episode of Believe in Kentucky for everybody, man. Yes, sir. Blessings, my brother. Hey, Believe Kentucky. Keep keep listening to us. We're gonna have I have more stories to tell. I know we're gonna have to get some, get some stories out of feed here shortly. You know, we gotta stop asking questions. For me, I'm gonna start asking asking him questions and find out what's going on in the VH household. Hey, we can we can do that. It won't be as captivating, but I will give you what little bit I got. But yeah. <laughs> Y'all keep coming back. iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox, wherever you get your podcast. Every episode of Believe in Kentucky will be right there with the legend TD and myself. Have a good weekend, everybody. We'll catch y'all next time. Deuces! Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.